when it seems hard, and when it seems easy, and when it seems impossible, and when it seems perfect, we follow the Lamb. Thank you for downloading our podcast. Make sure you subscribe to get new ones every week. And don't forget to check out First United Methodist Sweetwater's website and social media. Now, here is Pastor Ryan Strebeck. The text that Cindy read for us, John said, After this, I looked. After this, I looked. After the cancer came back, after I learned what friendship really was, after that test that I thought I'd never pass, after the news that we were having another baby, after these months of depression, after we decided it was time to retire, we've been through a lot. We can say that now in November of 2020, and we can say it any time, that we as a community, that we as families, we as a church have been through a lot. And today we remember the value of taking a break, of pausing the role of worship that leads us into the throne room of heaven, that gives us just for a moment a glimpse of something that can carry us on to the next day, that can carry us on to the next season that can carry us on to the next bit of work. One of the early teachings that I received when I was learning how to help on ranches, neighbors' ranches especially, I grew up mostly taking care of cattle on flat wheat pasture country. So we had hot wires, and you could see for 10 miles one direction, and if you had good eyes, you know, 20 miles in the other direction. And so we didn't so much have to worry about not being able to see each other when we were doing basic things like gathering a pasture. It was all visible all the time. You could see all the tumbleweeds. You could see all your coworkers. You could see everything. It was open and visible. Uh, but when I was in junior high, I started helping some neighbors that had country closer to the Canadian River and on the Canadian River, and we leased a ranch out there. And so I was learning now a whole new way of gathering a pasture. And our mesquite trees aren't as tall as y'all's here. They're, they're, our mesquite trees are, are, you can still kind of see over the top of them. Uh, but you did a lot of hills and a lot of breaks and a lot of rocky areas, a lot of cactus and a lot of that fun stuff. And I remember gathering this large pasture and the guy who was leading the gather, uh, the trail boss, so to speak, he said, now, Ryan, here's the deal. I'm going to put you between this person and this person. And your job is to stay exactly in the middle of these two guys one was a girl, actually. Uh, and I want you to stay there, and you make the sweep. You make the gather, and you stay exactly in line, and don't you get out of line, and don't you let anything buy you on either side, okay? And if you do that, you're going to be okay. So the greatest fear was that I would get lost, one. Uh, and the second fear is that I would get out of position, and we would miss some cows because I, of my, it was my fault, right? So I'm, I'm just going along, my heart's racing, and I'm trying to figure it out. And he said, oh, by the way, one of the things that really helps when you're doing this is every so often when you can't see the people on either side of you, make sure you take a second every so often to top out. And I said, what does it mean to top out? 
And he said, well, you know, ride up in a high spot so you can see everybody. And I was like, oh, okay, top out. So that's a new word for my dictionary. So I would top out. So you would just ride along. You couldn't see anybody. Couldn't see anybody. And I'd get scared. I'd ride up on top of a hill. Okay, I see him over there. Okay, I see her over there. I'm behind. So I need to hustle the pace up and I'd move. And so learning that, it was a, a, an ongoing deal. And, it, and my fears were slowly alleviated as I learned how to top out and look around me and see that it kind of all worked as long as everybody topped out every so often and everybody stayed in line and everybody paid attention to where they were. You didn't have to worry about what else was going on, just your person on your right and your person on your left, and you were good to go. So there was still work to do when you top out, but it just gives you a a, a momentary breath where you remember that it's all going to be okay, that you're not alone, and that you're not out of position. I would remember I wasn't alone, and I was in the right spot. And that's all I needed to keep going. So John, St. John, has been exiled to the island of Patmos for the vision, the book that we know as Revelation. And he's, he's basically in prison. I mean, he is in prison. He's on the island of Patmos, and he's got work to do. And his churches, his beloved brothers and sisters are being persecuted. They're being imprisoned, and they're being killed by the hundreds And so he is still working as a leader of the church. He's in prison for following Jesus. He's in prison for leading the church. And he's praying. He's worshiping. And he says, just like Ezekiel, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And he said, I looked again. After this, I looked. And he has these series of visions. After this, I looked. And after this, I looked. And I just began to think as I was reading Revelation this week, there's these points in our lives where we pause and say, Yeah, after that, I looked, I paused, and I looked to see where I was. I topped out to see what was really going on around me because I feel alone and I feel like I'm out of place. Now, John has seen a lot, and he's got a little bit of an interlude here in the flow of his vision, and so he pauses and he says, I looked again, or after this, I looked. Now, what does John see? When he looks, And he's seeing in this vision, what does John see? And Cindy read it so well for us. We have it in chapter 7, the whole chapter, and she read the second half. There's this great imagery of seeing the 12 tribes of Israel, right? So I saw the 12,000, the 12,000, the 12,000, and all the tribes of Israel. And then I saw this new group of people that I didn't expect to see, and I'm seeing, and they're all around the throne of God, and everyone's worshiping. And there's all this great imagery. And for us reading in 2020 in the United States, we miss a lot of this imagery. So John is telling us in language that his churches, his uh, brothers and sisters would have understood But it was kind of like code language because they didn't want uh, the Romans and everybody else to figure it out because they were already being persecuted. So Nero and and Domitian and all those guys and their minions, they were were out to get Christians, so they were communicating in in quiet ways. And so it's kind of like this. Uh, My youngest daughter, who's in second grade, she had an opportunity this year to adopt a Mustang. So uh, most of you know what that is, was you adopt a football player, and then on senior night, you get to run out with the players onto the field, and it's just this, it's this fun experience. But I was listening to her describe that experience to someone who wasn't there. 
All right, and I just want you to, I want you to go with me here and imagine what this sounds like, okay? You know nothing about football. You know nothing about West Texas. And you come to visit, okay? You're a foreign exchange student. And, I, and, and listen to the second grader talking to you about what she did, okay? I was at the Mustang Bowl. What's the must, what's the, there was smoke. And I ran out of a horse's head. And the players had flags. And the band was playing. And there were players everywhere. How many players on a football team? 11. 11 times 11. 11 times 11,000. There were players all over the place. Right? And you can begin to see. And if you've never been to a football game on Friday night at the Mustang Bowl, you're like, you're on some kind of hallucination drug. Like that. You ran out of a horse's head? What are you talking about? But of course, if we've been there and we've seen a football game, we know exactly what she's talking about. And we're transported and we begin to see that vision too. And we can imagine, right? And you can smell the popcorn and you can hear the band and you can see the players run out there and you know, hey, this is a great Friday night in West Texas. So John sees this beautiful vision of heaven and he begins to describe it. And one of the things he describes, is he says, well, yeah, there's this, this vast multitude and, and they were wearing white robes. Right? They, they, they had these white robes on. They had washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. What? what? How did they wash their white robes with red blood? Like, how, did, how does that work? But the vision, of course, is the Lamb, Jesus, at the center of the throne, at the center of all the known world. And Jesus is crucified. He's slaughtered, and his blood is the redemption it's the forgiveness of our sins. It's the new life. It's how we put off the old person and put on the new person. And it's how we live again. So everybody reading, the churches that are hearing this letter read, they know what's happening. Oh, okay, Jesus is at the center of the throne in heaven. And all these people are worshiping. And it's not just the 12 tribes. It's not just the 12 and the 12 and the 12 and all the Jewish people. But all of a sudden, John has this interaction and one of the elders says, hey, who are these people in white robes? And John's like, well, you know who they are. And he says, well, yeah, and they decide, oh, yeah, it's the people who have come through the great tribulation. It's, and contrary to what some popular novels a few years back would say that is, the tribulation is, is the kingdom of God. It's the time now and in the past and the time in the future where those of us are going through a time of endurance we're going through a time of faithfulness. We are following Jesus. So whether you follow Jesus 2,000 years ago, you follow Jesus today, or someone's following Jesus 100 years from now, we're all going through the great tribulation. And so we, as Christians, are there. We're in heaven because heaven is wherever Christ is. So we're simultaneously in heaven, and we're still living in the mortal body. So it's this great understanding of we are gathered around the throne of God and when we gather for worship and when we worship with our families we are in heaven right in that sense we are with Christ but we know that there will be there is a heaven that is only experienced after we leave this mortal body and we take on the immortal body we get a new resurrected body and then we join in a whole new way and there's no more tears there's no more sorrow right there's no more pain but all this is happening, and John's trying to describe it, and it's all going on at once. These people in white robes. And they are before the throne of God, and they worship God day and night within his temple. 
The one who is seated on the throne will shelter them, and they will hunger no more. They will thirst no more. The sun will not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water of life. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So that's John's vision. That's what he saw. And we're beginning to understand, okay, that's what those numbers mean. That's what this means. It's not just the Jewish people, but this is all the people that have come to Jesus for healing and salvation. And they've washed their robes and we've washed our robes and we're gathered around the throne. And earlier in the chapter, it talks about those who are marked who are sealed by the Lamb. And as we talked about this in our Ten Commandments series of bearing the name of God. We go through the waters of baptism and we are bearing the mark of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It's not a mark you can see. This is not like, whether it's the mark of the beast in Revelation or the mark of the Lamb, this is not something you can see. It's not a computer chip. It's not a Trump sign. It's not a Biden sign. It's just, this is an internal mark that we can't see. It's a reality of our hearts. And we are marked, all of us are marked through baptism by the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so we're, we're carrying that mark, which, by the way, is, is, gets way more pressed than the mark of the beast in the book of Revelation. And we just hear a lot about the other one. But that's what John sees, and he's telling us all about it. So why do we read that text today on All Saints Day? And why, how does this encourage us? I mean, what's the point? Why are we reading this today? We don't understand all the images. We're kind of seeing a little bit more of it. Well, this brings us encouragement because we realize that we're there and we're not alone. We gather, we believe in the communion of saints. That we are, there are those, there's a great cloud of witnesses the writer of Hebrews talked about. Those who are living and those who have gone on have left this mortal body, they, they're in the immortal body now, but this whole group of Christians, people who follow Jesus Christ, we are surrounded by one another. We come to worship. Uh, even if we're in a persecuted country and we're by ourselves and we're afraid and, and, and we're f- truly fearful for our lives, we can remember, we can see this vision and we remember that we're not alone. When we're in the hospital room and we can only have one visitor because of COVID and we're afraid, we see this vision and we remember we're not alone. When we're in school and we're wondering if it's this miserable for everybody else or if it's just me, we remember, we see this and we're not alone in the struggle. We're not alone in the fight to live as witnesses for Jesus Christ in this broken world. We remember that that's our ultimate end. We remember one day that we won't cry anymore. We remember one day that the lamb will lead us to rivers of living water. We'll never be thirsty again. And we'll never hunger again. And we'll never be anxious again for the things that we don't see and can't understand. So what happens next? Well, John returns to his work. He sees the vision, and he goes back to work. He goes back to a world where his friends are dying left and right, and he's getting old, and he's in prison. And that part's not going to change. But he goes back to work. And we return to our work, and our worship continues. The vision of heaven propels us back into life as we know it. A vision of heaven doesn't pull us away from life, but it pushes us back into life with new vision, with new strength, with new reminders of who we are and who we belong to. And we remember that the number of the redeemed has not yet been reached. 
And that's why part of the reason that we're still here, that there's a growing number of those around the throne of God, and that number has not been reached yet. And so in God's patience, he's waiting. And so we have work to do, and we're a worshiping church. We are a critical institution in the world that God created and the world that God sent his son to redeem. We have work to do. It's the Colossians 3 imagery, if you want to think of it that way. But those who are bearing the mark of Jesus, and those who are wearing the white robes, they, they have put off the old. Right? They have put off the old way of life that is governed by the value systems of this world. We've washed our robes. We've left behind that old way of being, that false self that said you're only good if you do this, this, and this, and you're only living up to your potential if you accomplish this, this, and this. And we leave that old false self behind and we pick up the new self that has been washed in the blood of the lamb. And we've washed our robes and we wear our white robes and we put on the new. We leave behind the old and we put on the new. And the new is that baptismal identity. It's the mark of the lamb. It's the mark of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that says, you belong to me. You are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter. With you, I am well pleased. And we remember in that moment that our work is to follow the lamb wherever he goes. That's what the whole book of Revelation is about. We follow the lamb that marks us. And everywhere we go, we have the identity of the crucified Jesus. And we follow the lamb wherever he goes. We don't follow the donkey and we don't follow the elephant. We follow the lamb primarily. It doesn't mean we don't vote. It doesn't mean we don't engage in all the civic stuff. We don't have strong political opinions. But it means that at our core identity, that the most important thing that we do is we follow the lamb. And whatever circumstances our life brings, we follow the lamb. When it seems hard and when it seems easy and when it seems impossible and when it seems perfect, we follow the lamb. We hold on to Jesus. We let Jesus shepherd us. And then we find grace to shepherd others. Isn't it great to know how the story ends? Isn't it great to see this vision and have just a glimmer that the suffering and the struggle will end one day? It's this vision of heaven and the saints who have gone before us. And it doesn't cause us to say, gosh, I can't wait to get out of here. But it causes us to say, I can't wait to get in. And getting in starts now. Getting in started way back when you came through the waters of baptism, or it starts today with a renewed sense of calling and a rededication of your life to Christ. It starts today. I can't wait to get in on what's happening around the throne of God. May we join those that John saw who have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. May we join them. May we bow down. May we worship. And may we cast our crowns before the throne of God. May our lives reflect the Lamb at the center of the throne. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.